are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, we'll be chatting with Adam Armbrecht from Locked On Nets as Kevin Durant drops a 50-piece on the New York Knicks. He's been on on an absolute warpath since returning from injury, including a big win over the Philadelphia 76ers and ex-teammate James Harden. Plus, will we see Ben Simmons in a Nets jersey this season? Then, Jeff Garcia from Locked On Spurs joins to discuss Greg Popovich becoming the all-time winningest coach in regular season history, surpassing Don Nelson. Is Greg Popovich the undisputed greatest of all-time basketball coach? And lastly, we're joined by Matt George from Locked On Kings to discuss the Kings' state after trading for DeMontis Sabonis ahead of the NBA trade deadline. Was it a win-now move for the Kings, or was it a move made with eyes set on the future and what exactly is the role of Alvin Gentry for this Kings team moving forward. Now today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered the season with more props, odds and lines than ever before. Bet Online, it's where the game starts. As always, appreciate you for making Locked on NBA your first listen each and every day. And joining us now is Adam Armbrecht from Locked on Nets. You can follow on Twitter at Adam Armbrecht. Now, Adam, Kevin Durant fresh off of a 50-piece against the New York Knicks. Let me just read some of these some of these stats off to you. Uh, most points by a Nets player versus the Knicks in franchise history. Second player with multiple 50-point games in a season in Nets NBA history. Third player with multiple 50-point games with three franchises in NBA history. This ridiculous stat line, 53 points, 19 of 37 shooting, nine assists, six rebounds. Adam, it really does feel like to me that KD has been on a warpath since coming back. Does that does it kind of feel that way to you? Oh, of course. I mean, listen, you know, out of not only his apex predator mentality that he's always had in his career, but also out of necessity, right? The Brooklyn Nets cannot afford to lose games against teams they should beat, like the Hornets or like the Knicks in this game, but also against teams that maybe you don't think you can take on until you're full strength in the Philadelphia 76ers. Kevin Durant had a long layoff with his injury came back onto the court and basically said, hey, we're locked in here. We have, at the time, 18 games to go. I need every single one of them, and you're about to see me remind the league that, yeah, I'm arguably the best player out there. Is there any worry about him, you know, potentially like overexerting himself, putting too much on his shoulders, right? This is a Nets team that is still not completely whole. Obviously, Kyrie Irving still only playing half the games, didn't have Seth Curry in this one, still trying to, you know, figure out the pieces here, whether or not we actually will see Ben Simmons on the floor this season. We'll get into that in a moment. But is there a worry that KD might be shouldering too much of a load here at the tail end of the season? Yeah, and I mean, you go back to last year in the playoffs and you had the injury to Kyrie, you had the injury to James Harden as he tried to work his way back. And ultimately, what felt like it was just too much for Kevin Durant to have enough in the legs to get those final shots off and put them over the top against the Milwaukee Bucks. But the difference maybe this year is, as we just said, coming off the injury. So he has had rest time. And in a game like this, with no Seth Curry, as you mentioned, because he's the clear established third best scorer on this roster now behind Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, that will make these games, even without Kyrie or without Ben Simmons, a lot easier for Kevin Durant. You can worry about it, 
but but what does worrying do in the end? Not a bit of good because you're gonna if you need the performances, you're gonna have to ask Kevin Durant to give them to you. You would have liked if they could have put the Knicks way a little bit sooner, but you'll take the victory nonetheless. Is there any major concern there with with Seth Curry, or is it just kind of a day to day thing with the ankle? Came out of nowhere, yeah. It just seemed like a little bit of a tweak on the ankle and probably out of more precaution, which is a delicate balance for the Nets as they need to win these games. But I think you'd rather give him the one night off here against a lesser opponent in the Knicks and make sure you can have him for all these other games at home that you may not have Kyrie Irving available for. Speaking about Seth Curry kind of, you know, taking upon that mantle of being the the third, you know, third option now when Kyrie's playing behind, you know, Kevin Durant and Kyrie, obviously. But what has his impact been like for this Nets team, you know, stepping into the lineup, the rotation, as well as Andre Drummond, the two pieces, you know, being a part of the the James Harden trade that we've actually seen play for the Nets so far? Yeah, it's interesting because the the first benefit is well, Seth Curry and Drummond already have familiarity. So putting those two out on the floor together, you at least know you'll have continuity there. And we've seen that play itself out, especially when Drummond's worked himself into the lane. But specifically on Seth Curry, you got to remember, 14 games into the season, the Nets lose Joe Harris. Then there's this up and down, will he come back, second surgery. He's been shut down for the year now. So the first piece was a perimeter shooter because the Nets have been overtaxing Patty Mills. They pick up Dragic in the buyout market. Seth Curry in this group now becomes a guy who can scored all three levels, worked his butt off in his career to be at that point, but is also a facilitator. He can work off the dribble. Like he is all of the things that the Nets didn't have a lot of behind Kyrie Irving and behind Kevin Durant. The fact that he's been able to do it effective, foster that relationship with the with the two stars, and then also really lean into the benefits of, of a Bruce Brown and a Drummond. Like he has been capable of knowing when and how to make the smart basketball play. And you haven't seen him overextend himself on the on the perimeter shooting opportunities something that patty mills playing out of character had started to do more and more of this season seth curry came over here and stepped right into the perfect absence of role and the perfect role for his skill set and i i know that there was maybe some cautious optimism when the trade was first announced that James Harden would be, you know, leaving Brooklyn and then looking at the return package that there was some cautious optimism that the pieces coming back from Philadelphia were more, you know, complementary to that of a duo of KD and Kyrie Irving. Is that kind of still where the optimism lies is that those two guys have more than enough scoring power talent to carry this team. And now they've got the better fitting pieces around them to find some success. Yeah, I mean, listen, there's no there's no denying having Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden fully invested, it, that's what you want. That's the first version of this team the Brooklyn Nets wanted. But on the back end of this trade, what you do now see is you get, I mentioned Patty Mills back into his more comfortable role coming off the bench. Seth Curry is a capable scorer. Goran Dragic gets brought in on the buyout market. He can take on some of the point guard duties and keep the ball out of Kyrie or Kevin Durant's hands for possessions. This Nets team is offensive-driven still. Now it becomes more about, especially like you saw against the 76ers in that previous matchup, the spacing and waves of perimeter shooting that they can surround these two stars with makes it very hard to think that over a seven-game series, you're going to be able to outrun the Brooklyn Nets. They've lost a superstar, but they still have all these complimentary pieces, and I'll even throw in the extra bonus. Since the trade, essentially, Bruce Brown has reemerged as the player that he was last year for the Nets, playing with a high level of confidence, even knocking down some perimeter shots. His value is elevated now, too. So you have seen a little bit of everyone, I think, getting a surge of confidence once all of this confusion and speculation finally died down and the trade was was officially made. 
What we haven't seen yet, though, is Ben Simmons. And at this point, Adam, do you do you believe we're going to see Ben Simmons, you know, on the floor this season? Where do you think that that situation is headed? Yeah, we talked about it on the podcast, and Doug had said anyone who thought that Ben Simmons was going to get back out on the court and be ready and available for the 76ers game, it was probably a fool's errand, not just from a, a health standpoint, a physical ramp-up standpoint. We know he's dealing with a little bit of a back tweak. We know the mental health side of it. You can, you can speculate however you want about any of these things and their legitimacy, but we didn't think you would see him before that. We thought today might be a game against the Knicks. I, I do think you're going to see him before the end of the year. The question just becomes, is it going to be with 10 games? Is it going to be with five games? I think he will get out there on the floor, but there has been a narrative that this is as much a, show, a showcase for him for this year as it is for going forward in the big picture with the Brooklyn Nets. I push back on that. The Nets want him out there. They, they'll live with whatever the results are in the short term, but Ben Simmons is a part of this team's future. It's just a matter of if he can get on the court this year ahead of the playoffs, get a little bit of continuity with Kevin Durant and with Kyrie Irving, and then showcase how effective he can be even just on the defensive end for this team in the playoffs. Adam, before I let you go here, just looking at the seeding right now, the Philadelphia 76ers are currently in third place. You've got the Brooklyn Nets at, you know, at eighth, you know, sitting in the play-in tournament range. There's a very real, realistic possibility here that we could be headed for a 76ers-Nets first-round matchup. How tantalizing would that be to, to watch these two teams go at each other, especially after that brief preview that we had with the Nets you know, firmly dismantling the 76ers in their matchup this past Thursday? Yeah, listen, that was it was everything you wanted from Brooklyn Nets perspective. A, a, a tight game down to the wire would have been a thriller. But Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving talked about it after the game. They knew that the Philly fan base, that they were going to come after Ben Simmons. You come after one of us, you come after us all. We want to make a statement, take the crowd out of it. You're going to have if Ben Simmons gets on the floor a Ben Simmons, James Harden defensive matchup. You're going to have Kevin Durant getting into the face of Joel Embiid, size be damned, and saying, I'm not backing down from you. I am the best player in the game, right? So there's going to be a lot of chippiness to this. Even Andre Drummond wanted to make some statements. He got physical with Embiid as well. Seth Curry, 24-point performance in that game. Like, there is no shortage of narratives and storylines that would play out over a seven-game series between those two teams. I think it would be one of the best things, not just for the Brooklyn Nets fan base, the 76ers fan base, but for the NBA, because you're ratcheting up based on everything the Nets have had to deal with. You get to ratchet up the playoff picture and say, no, no, Round one can actually be as epic as anything you're going to see in these playoffs. The, uh, to me, at least, the most possible exciting first-round matchup across the board in the NBA. Hopefully, we'll see that pan out. It would be a ton of fun to take part in. And you're going to have us covered for all of that and more Nets news and info over at Locked on Nets. Adam, appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Thanks, as always. Coming up, Greg Popovich is now the all-time regular season wins leader in NBA history. Is Greg Popovich the undisputed GOAT when it comes to NBA coaching? But first, a quick message from our friends over at Built Bar. Because look, when it comes to protein bars, if you're not choosing Built Bar, you're doing protein bars wrong. Built Bar is the number one protein bar on the market. You want to know why? It's because they're basically candy bars that are jam-packed with protein. Every single bar is covered in 100% delicious chocolate. They've got so many incredible flavors to choose from. Strawberry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter, cookies and cream. My personal favorite, the undisputed goat of protein bars. 
bars, coconut brownie chunk. You can't go wrong with a single bar on their menu, though. Every bar is low-cal, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber. Amazing if you're on a keto diet. Amazing if you're trying to cut back a little bit, maybe lose a little bit of weight. You can check them out. Just go to Built.com and use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off your very next order of the best-tasting protein bars on the market. Again, that's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. And continuing on here at Locked On NBA Monday. As always, appreciate you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. For your next listen, check out the Locked On Now podcast, nightly recaps of every NBA game with analysis from our local experts. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. And joining us now is Jeff Garcia from Locked On Spurs. You can follow on Twitter at Jeff G Spurs Zone. Jeff. Greg Popovich, now yep. the all-time leader in regular mm-hmm. season wins, passing up Don Nelson. He now has 1,336 regular season wins. I'm, finish this sentence for me. Sure. Greg Popovich is blank. Goat. Goat. Simple enough. He is the goat. I mean, you. I mean, it's not just – I think people f- focus on the recent – uh, accomplishment, which was huge. I mean, you, you passed on Nelson. I mean, that's his mentor. That's the guy who brought him into the league and got him going. Him a lot. I mean, Larry Brown, too. I think Larry Brown gets lost in, in Pop, in Pop's mentors. But it was really Don Nelson that did it all. But you look at – you set that aside, the recent record. He did this with one team. No, t- no other coach has done this. Okay? He's been like water flexible i mean people think he's this rigid coach my way or the highway he's not he's willing to give in and change with the times we've seen that from the david robinson era to the twin tower era the duncan era to the Kawhi era till now um you know everybody knows about the story about mana ginobili that was young popovich who was still very rigid everybody knows your role until he said you know what i gotta let mana just be manu i mean so that just is an example of what he's able to do and what makes him the greatest coach. You also look at the fact that the winning percentage is 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 highest. And, and I know people are going to look to Phil Jackson's winning percentage, the 700 winning percentage he had. But as far as longevity, you know, Pop is doing it longer. So, yeah, you know, there's going to be more L's on the side you know, than maybe Phil has. Um, five titles in his time, multiple Coach of the Year awards, an all a Western Conference All Star coach. We can't forget this too. Team USA, you know, he got the gold with Team USA. His first run at it, it was a rough start. Still got that gold. Um, and I think the biggest thing that I think doesn't get highlighted enough, which makes Pop the greatest, is this: is the legacy he's leaving behind. You know, from Monty Williams in Phoenix to Quinn Snyder in Utah to Jenkins in Memphis to Ime Udoka, to what he did for Becky Hammond. The list goes on and on. Sam Presti, now with the Thunder. Um, his legacy that he's going to leave behind whenever he decides to hang it up uh, is going to be everlasting. Uh, you accumulate all that together, uh, Jackson, and it's going to be hard to argue that Popovich is not the greatest uh, uh, NBA head coach of all time. You know, you, you look like what he said after he got the, the accomplishment. And I like how he put it together. He said, look, it's a great thing. You know, we did this together. He complimented all the players that came through the system. I heavily complimented Don Nelson and Larry Brown. But what I liked about it, he said, like, to me, it wasn't about the milestone. 
He was like, it's I, that we just got to win over Utah. That was who was more uh, excited about that. That's that the team got the win over Utah to keep them in the play and chase. That just tells you what his big focus is. It's not milestones. It's not that is, am I getting the job done? He's always said that he's a division three coach that just got lucky. And that's, you know, you look back at his history and that's what his coaching uh, came from is a division three team. He lucked into an assistant coach spot with the Golden State Warriors back in the day, you know, um, then became the San Antonio head coach. And hey, you know, a couple of ping pong balls his way. David Robinson and Tim Duncan. No, helps a lot. Um, but he still had to get, maintain this team. He still had to uh, guide them. He still, as I mentioned earlier, he had to go with the flow and change with the times. And he's still plugging away. Um, I, I did not have the Spurs, this current Spurs team, even sniffing the playing tournament. Here we are. Uh, and I think if he gets them into it, that's going to be a huge accomplishment for uh, Popovich. You know what I like about this too, Jackson? This is his first true year as being an NBA head coach. What I mean by that is this. He can't simply say, hey, DeMar, do your thing. Hey, Timmy, do your thing. Hey, Kawhi, do your thing. LMA. Now he has to teach. Now he has to coach. And we're getting to see a different side of Popovich that I don't think we've ever, ever seen in his uh, coaching tenure is having to be a teacher. Because it's kind of easy when you got Tim Duncan and David Robinson on your squad. That's very simple. Hey, Avery Johnson, just throw it down low. We're good. Or just give the ball to Kawhi. Let him work. Uh, Monte Ginobili, Tony, you got this. But now he has to teach and mold. And I think this is a different facet for him in, 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 in late in his NBA career. Jackson, um, it just, I, I mean, I, I just can't, I, I, I just cannot see how anybody can not look at him as the greatest coach of all time. It, it's, look, I, I look it's at him, I, I, I view, I view him as the, I view him as the, <clears throat> yeah. Pardon me. I view him as the undisputed, undisputed goat. Like I, yeah. I have him right up there mm -hmm. as well. And and you're so close to the the fan base and the San Antonio yeah. Spurs organization. And it's, mm -hmm. it's so great to hear that because, you know, Greg Popovich has not only meant so much yeah. to the Spurs, but also to to the NBA in general, to mm -hmm. basketball as a whole. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the accomplishment in and of itself, right? He accomplished this this feat, you know, surpassing Don Nelson in. 368 fewer games, which I think right. is so insanely impressive that he made it to that point. And we may, we may never talk about a coach having that longevity right. again, again, doing it all with the same organization. But you mentioned this briefly there, Jeff, but do you see any signs of Popovich slowing down, right? There's been a lot of these last <laughs> few seasons of yeah. when's he going to retire? Is he going to hang it up? All this, but he's got DeJounte Murray now, a young, yep. budding star player. He's bought in. He's got the Spurs fighting for, mm -hmm. you know, the chance at a play-in spot again. I mean, is is Popovich kind of bought in in this new rebuilding era of Spurs basketball to where you don't necessarily see him wanting to hang it up anytime soon? You know, when the, when the players are asked this question pre- or post-games this season, what do you see? You know, hey, Pop, you know, do you think he's going to go on? They all say that he doesn't look like he's missed a step at all that he's still the same Popovich, still, you know, getting on you, you missed a defensive assignment, just as he did with Tim Duncan and, and DeMar DeRozan. Um, there, I don't see any signs of slowing down. I, I think I'm seeing a lot more, I, I want to say happiness, but just a little bit more satisfaction. Because when you, you can see just a complete difference. I remember seeing him when you, when he had all those mega stars with him, you know, Timmy and Manu and Tony, the list goes on and on. How, how disappointed he would be um, in a win or a loss. In a win, if if Timmy missed, 
you know, a defensive assignment. He would bring that up and call Tim Duncan out, you know, to to, to LMA, you know, not bringing his A game and calling them out individually. Um, now you're seeing him be a lot more patient, and I think this is just it's a breath of um, of new 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 life in him. Um, now, if that happens, you know, he was asked recently, like, hey, you know, Josh Primo is kind of having a bad rough bad run right now. Flat out says, like, well, you know, we got to have patience. I've never heard Popford say that ever, never, ever, ever say that. Um, so I, I, I don't see any signs of slowing down. Um, there, there was a recent report um, that, you know, perhaps the coaching search has begun. Uh, I believe it was Mark Stein saying that Gwen Quinn Snyder could be a possible candidate down the road. Um, but yeah, I, I think the collectively, and this is not because I know anything, but I think collectively the the franchise is starting to okay. We got to get our ducks in a row if Pop decides to call it a day, because sure, the team is on a rebuild roster wise. But I think the biggest domino to fall in this rebuild is who's going to replace Pop. They, I think that is something that has to be high atop of their priority list. I pencil him in for one more season. I think he gives it a go for one more run, and that's it. You know, I think he sees his legacy. He sees, you know, this could, this is it. He's a little bit more reflective this year uh, when he's asked about players and coaches. I remember this and I remember Monty and I remember Steve Kerr and, you know, he's very reflective. So I think he's starting to see the end of the road. He's very, you know, Jackson in, in past seasons, he's very prompt with post games. Like moment is time he's on. Now he kind of lingers and talks to players on the coach and uh, after games and talks to coaches. So I think he's seen that the, the light at the, is at the end of the tunnel, but I, I still got him going for one more uh, season. Uh, big reason why is Becky Hammond. I thought she was for, for sure penciled in, but when she left, it's like, well, maybe she kind of knows already that pop isn't leaving anytime soon. Uh, Will Hardy left to uh, the Boston with Joanima Yudoka. You look at the current uh, coaching depth, not a lot of experience there. Mitch Johnson, uh, you know, Matt Nielsen, you know, names you never really heard of. So I, I think, um, yeah, I think I got him for one more season, but he certainly looks like he's been rejuvenated. He's been rejuvenated, uh, having to take a different coaching role with the team that at least before DeJounte uh, made an all-star was an all-star less team. Who's going to ultimately take the reins from Popovich yeah. in San Antonio? That's yeah. the big question, but it doesn't look like it's happening, at least not in the immediate future. Yeah. But for all of that and more Spurs coverage, you're going to have us covered over at Locked on Spurs. Yes, Jeff, sir. appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Anytime. Coming up, the Sacramento Kings made a big move at the NBA trade deadline, swapping Tyrese Halliburton for DeMontis Sabonis to pair up with De'Aaron Fox. How has that duo looked? Was this a win-now move for the Kings, or was it a move made with eyes set on the future? But first, a quick message from our friends over at Bet Online because, look, it's that time of year again. College basketball going strong. The March Madness tournament right around the corner. And you know Bet Online has you covered with all the latest odds, contests, and player props. Bet Online.net is your number one source for all of your sports betting needs and info. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And hey, it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all sporting wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. Yeah, they've even got Vegas casino games. Head to their website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action available to you. BetOnline, it's where the game starts. 
And final segment here at Locked On NBA Monday. As always, thank you so much for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. For your second listen, go check out the Locked On Bets podcast. Make a little bit of money with Locked On Bets, hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Joining us now is Matt George from Locked On Kings. You can follow on Twitter at Matt George SAC. Now, Matt, one of the big acquisitions made just ahead of the NBA trade deadline this season was the Sacramento Kings picking up Demona Sabonis from the Indiana Pacers. And when that trade was originally made, there was, I feel like, a lot of optimism that this was kind of a win-now move for the Sacramento Kings and that this would be the thing that helped push them towards the play-in, towards the playoffs, and that Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox would be this dynamic one-two punch, and we haven't seen that quite coalesce to this point. Unfortunately, the Kings just four and nine since Sabonis entered the lineup. What are you seeing take place? You know, with with his addition to this Kings group. Yeah, I think it's actually a, a significant oversight for people to look at this and think that it's only a win-now move and to judge it based off of that alone. However. My feelings on the situation is if you're trading away Tyrese Halliburton, you better get better immediately. And the Kings haven't necessarily gotten better immediately as a team, but certain players have gotten better since Halliburton's departure. Not saying it's Halliburton's fault that they were like he was holding anybody back because that certainly wasn't the case at all. But this Kings team seems to be playing better overall since that trade was made. But Monty McNair made it very clear in his press conference uh, after the trade line was completed, uh, deadline was completed. He said, Look, this this move, uh, we'd love to make the play uh, play in and playoffs right now, of course, but this move is about the future. And the fact that the Kings traded for a two-time All-Star who fits the timeline of their current star in De'Aaron Fox, both around 24, 25 years old, has two more years left on his contract. That's a significant piece. Now, that's not the five to seven years of control that they had over Tyrese Halliburton, so there's certainly an accelerated timeline and a risk factor to that, uh, but it's it's significant to know that this isn't just a rental. The Kings weren't just making this move to try and compete uh, with the um, the the uh, New Orleans Pelicans and the, uh, the San Antonio Spurs and the uh, Portland Trailblazers for this play in this final 10th uh, play-in spot. Although I will say my initial reaction to that or to the trade was that they were going to be going for that race. And I didn't think it was a coincidence that the Kings made their move the same day that the Pelicans pulled the trigger for CJ McCollum. So in a, in a very broad way of looking at it, I think the Kings would have preferred to make the play in and win games right now. Fox and Sabonis just hit it off. The team comes together. The Kings go on a run and all of a sudden they're in the plan. I think we all would have celebrated that, even if it affects the Kings draft lottery odds. But just because the Kings aren't accomplishing that doesn't mean that anybody views this trade as a failure so far. And in that too, I do I do agree. I share the sentiment, right? It can be a trade that that could have both been, you know, a win now move, you know, in the current mindset, but also a move that is made with eyes towards the future and and kind of pairing De'Aaron Fox with you know a running mate that is a bit more maybe complementary to him, fits a little bit better alongside him. And in that regard, Matt, what have you seen out of Fox and, and Sabonis as a duo, you know, and, and what those two guys can potentially look like, you know, not necessarily just for the rest of this season, but for the future for the Sacramento Kings team. Well, your question is about Fox and Sabonis as a duo, which I will address, but we have to also point out Fox as an individual because this is something that I think is overshadowed because if you compare the numbers, a lot of people, when they see a trade of, there are other pieces involved in this deal, but essentially this trade was a Tyrese Halliburton to Monta Sabonis swap, right? Like those were the best players and that's what we focus on. Tyrese's numbers in Indiana have been impressive. He's also getting a boatload of minutes on a bad team. Some would call it empty stats. I don't 
like taking anything away from a player. Tyrese is playing really good basketball right now. Pacers fans should absolutely be thrilled uh, with Tyrese as a part of their rebuild, actually the center of their rebuild. I think he's going to be very, very good. His numbers and Sabonis's numbers, Sabonis is now like 43 or 44 double-doubles on the season, hasn't played the last couple of games because of suspension, and then he missed the most recent game because I believe his, uh, uh, his child was born. Uh, just recently, but numbers wise, they're pretty even. You would give maybe the edge in some ways to Halliburton. You give the edge in some ways to DeMontis Savonis, but it's pretty even. And when you compare a second year player to a two time all-star, maybe you expect Savonis's numbers to be better than Tyrese's. But a massive factor of this trade is how well De'Aaron Fox is playing. Like he's on a 10 game stretch where he's shooting over 50% from the field. His three point shooting percentage is hovering around 40%, um, which is fantastic. He's back to being that go-to scorer who can coast to 20 uh, points per game. I think he has a streak of 15 straight uh, 20 points per game uh, or 20 points in a game for 15 straight games. He's had, he had a 41 point performance or 42 points the other night, uh, multiple 30 point games. We're seeing Fox get back to that superstar that we had not seen at all this season. And I think it largely has to do with he and Tyrese Halliburton just did not work together and fit together as well uh, as um, as Kings fans and, and the Kings front office was hoping for. Now, that being said, when we talk about the duo of the two of them, Fox still needs more help. And in Sabonis's best game as a King, where he went off for over 30 points, Fox didn't have a good game. So Fox still needs to find out how to be that guy while his teammates are also getting theirs. And that's what's been most impressive recently about this stretch of even though the Kings have been losing games, Fox is scoring 30, 40 points, but also dishing out 10, 11 assists. Like that's a that's a big boost for De'Aaron, especially with the assist numbers that Tyrese brought with him to Indiana. And we know how much of the uh, the passing game falls into the lap of DeMontis Sabonis. The reality is Fox has never had a player as good as DeMontis Sabonis to play with at any point in his career. It's going to take time for the two to get comfortable together. But Fox has been asking for a Sabonis type player for a long time. And the last two off seasons, the biggest moves the Kings have made drafting two guards. So I, I imagine he was not happy with that. He seems very pleased to have Sabonis here. Uh, and while I don't know how much we're going to get out of them for the remainder of this season, what they're able to do next season with hopefully a revamped roster this offseason, that's where really the the big, uh, where we're going to really see the results of this trade and also all excuses for De'Aaron Fox, they're now gone. You know, the the last, you know, stretch for De'Aaron Fox that you highlighted, I mean, it is really impressive. Just over the last 10 games, just 10 game averages, he's averaging 30 a night on, you know, 39% shooting from three, over 50% shooting from the floor. The assist numbers are up across the board. Yeah, it's 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 been impressive to see what he's been able to put together. But you talk about, you know, this offseason being crucial for the Kings, you know, what they're going to try and do moving forward. And a big question for that, not just, you know, looking at the rest of the roster and the pieces that you put around De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sponis. But I think a big question mark for me, especially, is is what is the future of Alvin Gentry mm. with this Kings organization? Is he going to be the guy who is going to be here next season? Are you out on, on Gentry as the coach? Yeah, Gentry has no chance. And and I say that with all the love and respect in the world because Alvin took over a very tough situation. And Alvin is extremely well-respected, very well-liked. I don't blame 
what happened to the Kings this season on Alvin Gentry. Hell, I don't even blame it on Luke Walton. I think this Kings team was an absolute disaster. They've been a disaster for years, uh, and they needed to make these trades. Luke Walton was, I mean, you you had to make that move, I guess, uh, even though Walton, in my mind, was he might not have been the solution, but he certainly wasn't the problem. And I think that's been pretty clear with how bad the team has been or how bad they were since Walton was fired uh, and Gentry came in. But to answer your question, like there's Gentry has no chance. The only chance that he has is the Kings putting together like an undefeated run for the remainder of the season, a, a, a Phoenix Suns bubble-esque run that actually gets them into the playoffs. And then he probably still needs to have the Kings win a legitimate playoff series to have a chance. Like I'm, that's, that's legitimately where I'm at. Unfortunately, I think Monty McNair wasted last off season to get this coaching search done. Uh, and now for the first time in the Vivek Ranadive era, I expect a full legitimate coaching search. And Jackson, that's not a joke. Like the, in Vivek's eight, nine, something like that seasons that he's been here, the Kings have never once executed a full coaching search. They've always just kind of hired the first guy that they see available. They didn't even interview people when they fire or when they uh, fired um, Dave Yeager and brought in Luke Walton. They like Monty Williams wanted the job. They didn't even interview him. Like the Kings need to go through a full legitimate coaching search. I expect Alvin to be a part of that search out of courtesy, but he doesn't have much of a shot. I couldn't name for you which guy I want at this point in time. Whoever he is, he just needs to stick around for longer than three years. Will the Kings be able to put together a push and make the play-in this season, or are the eyes set exclusively on the future and what this duo of De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis can potentially bring to Sacramento down the line? You're going to have us covered for all of that and more, of course, over at Locked On. Kings, Matt, appreciate you stopping by Locked On NBA with me. Always a pleasure. That's going to do it for another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, the brand new Odyssey app, free and available on all platforms. Also, be sure to check out the new Locked On NBA YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA, like, comment, subscribe. But as always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA. Biggest stories with the local experts. You sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.